Hello and welcome to episode 195 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Harvey, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Scott Shelton. Today on the podcast, we review the second Joseph Kaczynski-Miles Teller collaboration of the summer with the Netflix sci-fi thriller Spiderhead. But first, how are you, Scott? Doing pretty well. It feels like I've I, I, I hit my like summer lull, like maybe most of America watching movies, where I'm not watching as many movies on a, on a regular basis. I'm outside more. I spent a lot of time outside the last week and a half or so because the weather's been... It's like it's just that in between period between spring and summer where the weather's like hot but not too hot to go outside here. So I've been outside a lot, reading a lot of books, um, doing doing all sorts of multimedia endeavors outside of movies. <laughs> um, but Spiderhead, uh, this and I, I saw a new film that debuted at Sundance called um, "Good Luck to You, Leo Grand." Those are like the two movies I've watched recently. But you know, I'm excited to get back into it. I feel like you know. We might get started here soon. A full movie docket this weekend with uh, Minions: Rise of Gru. Plan on seeing that three or four times uh, to get to have a really good time in the theater with all of my five-year-old friends that will be there with me. And uh, you know, n- nothing but blue skies ahead with uh, Thor Ragnarok, not Thor Ragnarok, Thor: Love and Thunder, etc. I'm doing great. Yeah, uh, you're making me feel bad because I my movie pace has not slowed down at all. Um, oh, I know. Yeah, I certainly yeah. haven't really been going outside that much. So um, it's also hotter there gonna... than it is here. No, I don't know. Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, and I mean, you know, for you, it's like, you know, you walk you walk everywhere and everything too. Like if you need to go anywhere, so that's being outside. Um, that is true. Frankly, I I would love being able be being able to do that honestly but um no i have my air-conditioned car i suppose that i hop in whenever i need to go somewhere which is nice some days too go find some um, hikes go find some trails yeah i might have to do that i don't know solo hikes are not too appealing to me but i i mean i don't really know why i do everything else solo really so shouldn't really be a problem but um Yeah, I, I can tell you, though, as far as uh, Minions goes, I'm still excited for the soundtrack. Uh, I will say, though, that the singles that have been released uh, have been somewhat disappointing so far. Um, like when I saw the track list, I was like, oh, this is going to be some bangers. But then like they released the St. Vincent's, they released St. Vincent's version of Funky Town, which was a real letdown. They were uh, Brock Hampton's version of Hollywood Swingin' was like terrible, honestly. Um, so I'm a little nervous about the end product, but I'm at least uh, looking forward to hearing the Wise Blood cover of um, "You're No Good." I think that was the one that caught my eye the most. But it should be an interesting uh, collection of songs, to say the least. I mean, I was I couldn't believe, frankly, when the track list was initially released. Um, I don't Who's know if it's some toxic? sort of isn't someone covering toxic? Uh, I don't know. That feels like that wouldn't really fit the vibe of what they're going for with the soundtrack, but um, I you're could right. be wrong about that. No, no, I think you're right. I think I'm just getting mixed up with uh, the other movie that came out this week that we didn't watch. I'm failing to remember which one. You're El- doesn't oh, Elvis, Elvis have a have a? Yes, Elvis has yeah. a toxic cover. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Um, yeah, no, we were spared that. Uh, I did go see the Black Phone um, in theaters, which is, I guess, the other sort of big movie that came out this week and did pretty well, actually, at the box office. Um, and it was solid. It was uh, it was nothing special, in my opinion. But if you're a horror fan, um, you'll probably enjoy it. I just think, I don't know, Scott Derrickson is a very mid-director for me. Um, 
nothing that he's made has really been super excited to. It's interesting that he had creative differences with Marvel on Doctor Strange 2, and then they brought in Sam Raimi, because Scott Derrickson strikes me as, like, he would totally be a Marvel, like, down-the-line director. Like, he will do what they, what he, what they tell him to do. And, uh, you know, he could probably put out a solid well-executed products, but he's not going to rock the boat. He's not going to go crazy with the style or anything like that. Whereas that was obviously not what happened with Sam Raimi. So that's a little interesting, I guess, that that's how it went. Well, down. I think creative differences is a placeholder for movie studio did not like what Scott Derrickson was doing with the project, not in terms of style, but in quality, probably. Well, yeah, the first Doctor Strange movie was not very good. And the second one was good. Um, yeah, begs the question. I, why did you re-sign him to direct the sequel? But whatever. All right, Scott. Well, putting Scott Derrickson aside, um, we all, we have enough Scots on this program as it is. Um, let's get to our movie today, which, as mentioned, is Joseph Kaczynski's Spiderhead. The title Spiderhead refers to a futuristic prison where maximum security inmates are sent as an alternative to traditional supermax facilities. The catch? While enjoying the cushier and more inviting Spiderhead, the inmates must submit themselves to clinical testing of new drugs designed to alter human emotions. Our protagonist is Jeff, played by Miles Teller, whose involvement in a fatal drunk driving accident led him to Spiderhead. At the new facility, Jeff interacts with Steve Abnesti, a wealthy businessman played by Chris Hemsworth, who is overseeing the clinical testing for a shadowy parent company, and who chooses Jeff to be the test patient for N40, a drug designed to heighten humans' feelings of love towards each other. The testing seems relatively harmless at first, but soon Abnesti begins to introduce wrinkles into the process, placing Jeff in increasingly difficult situations, especially involving his girlfriend and fellow inmate Lizzie, played by Journey Smollett. Pushed towards a breaking point, the lines between reality and fiction begin to blur for Jeff, and he soon comes to discover that all is not what it seems at the idyllic New Age prison, setting in motion a psychological battle over the line between scientific progress and dangerous manipulation. Scott, Joseph Kaczynski has already given us the biggest movie of the year thus far with Top Gun Maverick, but does his pandemic-constrained follow-up demonstrate his skill in telling small-scale stories as well? Yeah, interesting question. I think, not to say that this movie is diametrically opposed to Top Gun Maverick. I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's that extreme because, you know, there is still some elements of, you know, futuristic tech that Top Gun Maverick, I think, likes to pedal with with things like, you know, the, the experimental jet they have at the beginning. But it, it's certainly much smaller scale, uh, maybe asking a little bit more or, or at least a little bit something different from the actors. It's a much more interior story or at least it tries to be sort of wrapped inside this sort of sci-fi shell of you know like you said this sort of futuristic prison and these chemical these chemical tests being run on these inmates and i do feel like jo joseph kaczynski has reasonable enough I, I guess like control over the material i think my biggest issue is that it just doesn't feel like the material or the specifics of it is good enough really to to make much more of it than what we got. I just feel like the story, although I think it hits a lot of really interesting general trends and general points and is almost like storyboarded in the right way, it doesn't really feel like any of the characterization um, and, and, the, and the developments that are happening 
are really of the tenor of the cast or maybe even the quality of the direction. And I think ultimately I was probably most disappointed in that because I think it has a pretty good premise. I mean, it's based on a really well-liked short story um, called Escape from Spiderhead. So it, there, you know, it is subject matter there to to work from. I haven't read the source material, but I assume it's, you know, worthy of an adaptation. I don't know. Maybe we shouldn't assume that, but you know, it is something that, that there is to work with. And Reese and Wernick, who are the writers for this, you know, they have a mixed track record. They have the Deadpool movies, which, you know, are maybe more of a success than a failure. Um, but then they have things like, didn't they, I think they did the Michael, one of the Michael Bay movies for Netflix, like six underground or something like that. Um, more recently. And, and I, and I felt that sort of like mixed experience if the for the lack of a better word um in this it felt like they were able to get some of the bigger stuff right in terms of you know the vibe of of the film um and the characters but when you really drill into these to the story um to the backgrounds to the to the narrative development it feels like it's all a bit lackluster for me um even though i did like you know some of the the you know the core performances in this and and thought that Kaczynski did a good job of trying to get trying to get the most um, out of this. I, I don't think it, ultimately it's going to be remembered as a project that's good or bad for his career. It's probably going to be lumped into things, you know, like uh, Oblivion or, you know, that Tom Cruise movie that he did um, before Top Gun Maverick. I think it's going to get lumped into the likes of those kind of sci-fi movies, although that's more action based than this one and just forgotten at the end of the day, because, you know, luckily a month ago he had, the biggest movie of 2022, probably what will be the biggest movie of 2022 um, come out, you know, maybe with the exception of like, I don't know, if Black Panther 2 might be bigger. I don't know. But like, he's going to have one of the biggest movies of the year. Um, and he's going to be remembered for that this year, probably. Yeah, I mean, I think he's probably glad that this came out in such close proximity to Top Gun Maverick, because I think this movie probably would have been forgotten no matter what. But at least now he has the shine of top gun maverick again just hitting a billion worldwide yeah i was gonna say it's good that the headline this weekend was top gun passes a billion and not top gun director launches dud on netflix yeah you know scott before we got on or before we started recording we were talking about tv series and streaming services and everything and i was saying that i thought that hbo max had like the highest level of baseline quality for its stuff when i'm thinking about netflix and i think about like the baseline quality for the original movies like well, let's just call it movies uh that they put out this movie is about at that level maybe it it you know occasionally drifts higher than that but you know like for example covid year we had like extraction we had the old guard right we had just some movies that were just kind of there for me um and this movie kind of feels the same way i don't feel like it really goes anywhere interesting it probably has a more interesting setup than those other movies that i mentioned but i don't just don't think it really does anything with it i think you know you mentioned the writers there i think that's a big problem you know deadpool is more obviously a lot more comedic um in nature than what they're going for here and the setup maybe you know lends itself to some interesting ideas being explored but i don't think they really explored them i feel like they just uh you know it was it it turned it out to be sort of a standard scientist who tries to play god and like it goes too far 
um, type of story, which we've seen done a million times before. I mean, you know, Ex Machina is a movie, I think, which um, has, you know, a little bit of a passing similarity to this um, and obviously way better executed than this movie. Um, I, I, just, I don't know. I, it just, you know, there's plenty of examples of this kind of story of, again, like I said, like the wealthy person playing God and taking I, it a step too like- far at the cost of humanity. I feel like this film is way too wrapped up in its twist than it was in and actually digging into any of the psychology of it. Yeah, the twists aren't even really that interesting either. It's, you know, it's it's kind of the first twist, I guess, is I mean, we can spoil it, I guess. Um, you sure. know, we learned that that uh, Steve Abnesti, which is Hemsworth's character, is like actually the one who's running the company um, and that he's the names of the drugs come from a bingo card. Like, I don't really know how we're supposed to feel about that, but that's a twist. Um, and then, you know, there's also the twist about what happens, what we learn about um, first, what we learn about Jeff's backstory and that there's more to the drunk driving incident than we are initially shown. And s- second, Lizzie, what we learned about why she's in prison. I just didn't care. Like, because it, it the movie... feels like those are re- like th- those are like you know third act revelations in this movie, but they should just be the act one baseline for you yeah. to actually explore yeah, the characters. Totally. Because they're not like trying to explore. Like you know when it for, when the movie first starts out, I kind of thought, oh, interesting. We're gonna get sort of. I I don't know. I thought we might get some sort of commentary about like incarceration and you know. Yeah, the nature of that. I think you know the story lends itself to to that. But you know they don't really go down any sort of criminal justice type route or anything um, with with that, which I would have found interesting. Which maybe some of that stuff like would have been more relevant to like the reason that they are in prison for the first place. Instead, it just comes off as like you know I guess it's supposed to be sort of like an emotional beat in the arc for these characters and the relationship for these characters, which, you know, I cared about only insofar as I think the performances were good. Um, but the characters aren't interesting. I think Hemsworth does a really nice job. I think he was the strongest performance in the movie for me. Um, I just think it's kind of wasted. This movie was just, just fell pretty flat, you know, just when it should have been getting interesting, it, started getting less interesting and i was definitely counting down the minutes as we neared um the ending of the movie which is you know not good because it's not even that long of a movie to begin with i yeah and and the other thing you know i I mentioned this in the intro but this movie was filmed during the pandemic right like it's pretty easy to see that uh they're mainly confined to one location um and i think a remote a very remote location yes yes (laughs) i think it's uh you know it's an interesting experiment right obviously making a movie during covid but i don't know that anyone that we really saw anyone perfect it uh i guess you know was kimmy was that made during covid or was it just like definitely yeah okay well that i mean they they had the masks and stuff in in the movie yeah i just didn't know if that was like yeah, yeah, you know, were we locked down? Like, what phase of COVID, I guess? Oh, I, mean, I think it was, yes, I mean, I think it was, it was during made in 2021. COVID, but... I think it was made in 2021, yeah. so. Okay. Well, anyway, but that's, I guess that's the example. That's the closest we've got to seeing the COVID movie perfected, I think, um, because, you know, that movie was really good. Uh, I, and I even said in my Letterbox review, if you want to watch something like this, I think you should go watch Kimmy instead. Not that there's, like, you know, a ton of similarities, but they are, again, these, like, 
movies where somebody's like con confined to one location primarily there's like a paranoia type thing that's going on um yeah. in both you know situations i think both direct i mean you know i i obviously joseph kaczynski is a good good director you can see that with top gun maverick but you know soderbergh was just able to do something a lot more interesting with kimmy and and you know again i think maybe this is a case of of kaczynski being let down by his writers a little bit here i don't think that they maybe necessarily had the experience to mine the issues that are here with any sort of nuance whatsoever. But um, Scott, I think we could talk about the performances here. Um, obviously, you know, they did get some big name actors here with Chris Hemsworth. Um, I mentioned Extraction earlier, obviously stars in that as well. So he has a little bit of a relationship with Netflix now outside of doing obviously the Thor movies and uh, Miles Teller. Um, who, you know, is Joseph Kaczynski's guy now, it seems. He was in Only the Brave, he was in Top Gun Maverick, and now they've worked on a third consecutive movie together. Um, what did you think about these two, you know, movie stars and uh, what they were able to bring to this movie? I think Chris Hemsworth, to me, definitely has the, the bigger role, if that's the right word for it. He is this much more mysterious person and I think he's able to play that quite well. I, I think I'm I mean, one of the things like Chris Hemsworth hasn't really done that much that I think has really set that has really allowed him to sort of flex the real range of his muscles. I mean, you see these like various projects outside of obviously the MCU, like, you know, ex you mentioned Extraction earlier where he was big in that. I mean, he was the lead in that film. Um, and then you have things like, you know, Bad Times at the El Royale. He has like these other random projects, but nothing that really sort of centers him as this like really like sort of capital a actor or having that ability but every time i watch him i kind of get the sense that like i think this guy's like actually a good actor you know what i mean like he, i think he's actually got the stuff um but you know maybe like brad pitt somewhere in the middle of his career just wasn't really finding the right projects to sort of allow him to to show off the that talent that he has and i think you can see it in flashes in this film i think there's some scenes particularly maybe in the second act of the movie where you're you're getting a little bit more information about who this character is and you're seeing sort of like more, the more the more raw side of the character where Hemsworth is able to to show some stronger range than you might get than you know your insert comedic line here in you know the Thor movies with Taika Waititi directing. And so I think that that's to his benefit. I think that he really does a good job making the most of this sort of mysterious pharma bro um ultimately at the end of the day and he does a really good job miles teller and i feel the same if we were to extend this out further to someone like journey smollett i just think that that there's ultimately sort of going back to what we were saying a moment ago there's like just not very much development there like you're learning the truth about these characters backstories but like there's no real it doesn't really feel like there's much going on there i mean there, there's maybe some big scenes for both the characters to sort of like act right um but it, to me it just sort of feels kind of lame it just feels kind of like lame roles um and i don't blame miles teller or journey smollett for that i just don't think that they're given characters that are asked to do very much in this film and i think miles teller is good enough in the role but i also think you could have inserted mostly anyone into the role and they probably would have been good enough because i just don't think that much is going on here i liked him um but i wouldn't point to this as a role that that exhibits the talent that he you know 
he might have exhibited in something like Spectacular Now, Whiplash, or even Top Gun Maverick. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you say anyone could have could have played it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think this is probably like the best version just because of Miles Teller's charisma, right? Because I don't sure. think there's really that much on the page there for this character. Agreed. But yeah. I think because of him, he's able to, you know, wring what little is there out of the towel that is this role. Um, and I, yeah, I would say the same for Journey Smollett. You know, I, I, um, I thought she was good. I thought their chemistry was pretty good together. Like, I, you know, I, I liked liked i guess yeah as much as i liked anything in this movie uh i mean her her character is bad like her character is very bad yeah i mean again the reveal which is that she killed her child um by accident goes nowhere by accident not mean to but yeah yes um goes nowhere really like I, i don't even know i i guess you know the point was trying to manipulate uh miles teller's character into like you know leaving her behind because she's done something that's so heinous uh, because that's kind of a lot of the tension in the second half of the movie is um, Chris Hemsworth's character trying to get him to turn against Lizzie, trying to sort of, you know, turn them against each other. Um, but it just doesn't work. Um, I thought, yeah, like I mentioned, I thought Hemsworth is really good. Um, I think he does like the, like, it, you know, you understand how somebody could get drawn in by, like, his charisma in the beginning, um, like Jeff is. And, you know, he's just kind of he's 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 friendly with them. Right. Which, um, you know, they're in prison and, you know, it, it's kind of uh, an interesting relationship, I guess, that they have with the person who's kind of like in charge of this whole thing. Uh, and they're just kind of broing out like they get, you know, he and Miles Teller just go get, you know, high off of laughing gas at one point in the movie. And. Um, or just kind of, you know, hanging out. Um, and so I think he does that. Laffodil, is that what they called it? Jesus. Yeah, the names are so stupid. I mean, again, like the um, coming up with stuff based on the bingo card was dumb. Um, what did they, what is the final drug that they called? It was OBDX something. OBDX. Yeah, OBDX, that's right. Um, The drug which just makes you obey whatever somebody says. Um, You know, it's it's some big, like, unobtainium vibes uh, in the naming conventions here of these these drugs. So another sort of lazy aspect of the movie. But Hemsworth is good. But then, you know, you could see that the charisma, it just starts to go a little bit too far, right? Like the this sort of maniacal like again he's trying to play god he's doesn't see where the line is and he's you know willing to go as far as is he feels is necessary to um you know achieve a new world order whatever it is he's trying to achieve by um you know developing this compliance drug which again we learn i I guess it's the twist that we didn't really talk about earlier but um that they have been receiving this drug the entire time right and that's how he's able to get the inmates to submit to any of these trials really yeah and that's actually the whole point of all of the trials is is yeah. for that drug they don't actually really care anymore about any of the other drugs right and so again that that's kind of the tension in the second half of the movie is <laughs> kind of seeing how far he can take the drug if he can get um jeff to turn against lizzie or if you know his their relationship their connection is going to be able to overpower the you know whatever power this drug has over them to 
comply with his instructions. Um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, to your point earlier, and this is where I'd finish off with the, with the characters because I think it's related ultimately to the choices made for the characters, is that this film decided it wanted to be sort of this like, I mean, almost like sort of like a, you know, an espionage type thriller of a sort. And it's just, frankly, it's not good enough to be that. And it sort of chooses to forego being a character study or having some like deeper or broader themes about society. And it sort of assumes that to go for the to go for the sort of thriller element of it. And it's just not good enough to be a, that thriller. Um, not to say that it could have been good enough if they had chosen to develop the characters more either, but the choice it made ultimately, you know, I think, yeah, I think the way you put it, let it let down Kaczynski and maybe some of the performances, I, I, I'd agree with that. And I think, I, I wonder if some of that is a Netflix thing too. Like I said, coming back to the, the start of uh, my review, like, you know, people throwing on your random Netflix movies don't necessarily want to see something that is going to give you like the full meal of psychological, you know, commentary to like stew over at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, there, of course, Netflix has their awards contenders, right? You know, they have the power of the dog in movies like this, which obviously are thinking movies, but this is not that, right? This is your movie of the week, really. And sure, it has a little bit bigger pedigree because of who's involved with it. But ultimately, I just think that's not what Netflix is, you know, typically producing with these sorts of movies. They're not, you know, producing something that's has a lot of layers to it. It's something that you pop on, you watch it for two hours, you probably never watch it again afterwards. But they don't care because they've gotten the views out of it at that point. And, you know, yeah, I, they've kept your subscription sure for another yeah. month. I'm sure Spiderhead is putting up some numbers. Like I think it's you know it was still number three in the top ten or something when I went to watch it. Yeah, which is an under which later. is a big underperformance for a Netflix original movie that they've you know pushed on their platform pretty aggressively. Um, I mean, I know Umbrella Academy and and Stranger Things, you know, Part One still is surging mm -hmm. on the platform, so maybe that explains it. But I mean, I feel like every single time I see a, a an original movie on Netflix, like it it trends number one usually i feel like every you know even if it's a you know a flash in the pan and goes away and no one ever thinks about it again afterwards yeah. like i feel like they normally surged at one unless it's a uh, apollo 10 and a half but that kind of goes back to my point again yeah. that was like that was not the typical netflix movie right like that was trying to be something more than that i feel like. or or it is uh, the typical netflix movie because i think that one of the things that all these movies have in common is just that netflix doesn't actually produce them at all it's just like all right we we paid we paid Reese and Wernick some money. Yeah. We're going to pay Joseph Kaczynski some money. We're going to pay these actors some money, and they're just going to go make a movie. And who gives a shit how it comes out? And the difference it's not is, the yeah. It's not the type of movie that they want to promote, I guess, is what I'm saying. Because, um, you know, it's not something that's necessarily going to get the average person to just stop and click, right? Um, sure. You know, you have to, like, probably be a Richard Linklater fan or, like, again, know, know that this movie is coming out to, like, actually seek it out and watch it. Um, and then, you know, like I was saying, you do get some things to think about afterwards. But ultimately, Netflix is way more about hyping up these, you know, star-studded projects that have the facade of having some sort of prestige about them. But, like, ultimately are just, you know, throw it on. And like I said, you've, you you get the watch in. You don't think about it afterwards. But it doesn't matter because they've got another one coming out, you know, a week or two later for you to watch. So, Yep. Um, not not really the model of, of movie production that I prefer, but, you know, this is the the world in which we live. And so we're going to 
keep seeing these types of movies i'm sure stranger things part two is coming out uh coming out friday scott so flip over how many hours is this i i, I haven't seen the runtime for uh for the second set of episodes but well the second uh, set of, there's only two episodes in the second set of episodes scott and they're like five hours, hours like least. total or something like yeah. that what what is the thought process there why not just break it out into into individual episodes like it's I, creative I, I freedom really baby get it the duffer brothers can do whatever they want <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess so. That's just, it's crazy to me. And, and people have watched it like multiple times. Like one of my former oh, yeah. co-workers was saying like that she watched it twice in the in the weekend that it came out. People, I don't understand. Just psychotic, I, I watched the first but... season. I watched the first season and it was good. The first season of Stranger Things is, is good. But all, all my friends told me that season two was like garbage. So I didn't watch it. And I also have a co-worker who finished season four part one in like the first weekend watched it all and now has decided before part two count to re-watch the entire show i'm like i can give you a list of shows to watch that's crazy yeah <laughs> or movies like again we're talking in in the case of the last season we're talking about literal movies basically every oh, episode. Not, not until the last two episodes the, they're normal length episodes i think until like okay. the last couple episodes okay. but which is why they have these two episodes isolated and broken out just as two as opposed to like you know four or five episodes or whatever it's like just two episodes because they're the length of five or six episodes sure yeah anyway i think that tells you what we think about this movie probably that we just you know took a little interlude to talk about stranger things scott i want to the, the ask thing, you, the thing you... i will say the thing about this movie scott is that i don't hate this movie i don't love this movie i had a fine time while i was yeah. watching it felt like i had a lot of potential that it didn't deliver on and like a lot of netflix movies which is the point you're just making I'm I'm not going to remember having watched this at the end of the year. Like we're going to be like look doing lists at the end of the year, and if if I had somehow forgotten to add this to my like best like my top list, I, you know my yeah. my full ranked list, I'd have forgotten that I watched the movie this year. Totally, yeah. I mean, you know, I just yeah. kind of shrugged at the end of it, like, oh well, that was you know an hour and forty minutes or whatever. Uh, but at least it, it wasn't, wasn't Elvis, Scott. At least it wasn't two it, hours and fifty minutes of Baz. Yeah, it was. It wasn't Elvis. I'm thankful for that. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, it, it probably ultimately was a better experience than like, yeah. you know, Elvis or Jurassic World, for example, something that would have evoked strong negative emotions in me. <laughs> this just didn't evoke anything right? yeah. like it. Yeah, but, I agree you know, on, on the flip side, there are some people that would say the worst movies are the ones that are like this, like that just where you feel nothing. Right. At least I think those people are wrong, though. But yeah, yeah, I, I think they're, they're, they're probably wrong. <laughs> Um, I just now I just need a new supercut of the Nicole Kidman trailer um, with Miles Teller just absolutely railing those people in the N40 experiments. Yeah, that would be something. Um, Scott, what did you think about the closing voiceover in this movie? Because Scott, I thought it was why really would you odd. Ask this question. <laughs> yeah, I, ju I had to bring it up because it was very odd to me. Miles Teller, in there as they're flying away from the island at the end of the movie, he has a little voiceover narration about like forgiving yourself and whatnot yeah. of like it has to do i guess with you know what we learn about these characters in their past or whatever i was like this isn't what i was taking away from the movie at all right? i was gonna Up say until that this point like, yeah this uh, this off-mentioned theme of self-forgiveness in the film <laughs> really sprinkled throughout the movie to set you up for the final voiceover I was like, look, we just like watched you defeat like this megalo megalomaniacal billionaire who again, well, I don't know if he's a billionaire, but anyway, businessman guy who was trying to, you know, manipulate humans into 
you know, freaking complying to his will, like a scary, like fascist stuff that he was trying to do. And you like, you know, defeat defeated him or whatnot. But the, the final takeaway you're leaving us with is that like our main characters are like the screw ups or whatever. Like, sure, they have, you know, this stuff in the past, but these were accidents. We, you know, the whole movie is about, a you know, this dastardly guy who has a, you know, deliberate plot to do something very evil. Our two main characters are not evil people. Um, and yet somehow the movie decides that the note that it wants to end us, leave us with is like that, you know, these characters need to forgive themselves or whatever. Like, isn't that what this whole experience was for? I guess like it, it, sh shouldn't at this point you say, okay, well, you know, we did it. We found each other. Now we've connected. And through this relationship, I've allowed myself to, yeah you know I, it, i've forgiven myself because you know i've met somebody who is a like-minded person that i also see as a good person and because of yeah. that i see that i'm also a good person who just made a bad mistake one night it, to, to put a finer point on it um i think that the the final scene make is the the character sort of the the broader theme that i was talking about that maybe was lacking uh throughout the whole movie unfortunately it makes no goddamn sense at the end of the movie um and yeah, really, frankly, it really frankly, it just seems completely out of out out of step with with the rest of the film. Like, I, I get that there's a lot of self guilt in these characters. It makes sense to me that they feel guilt over causing the deaths of people that they loved. But uh, it doesn't ever That's really seem like the they're movie wrestling with self forgiveness in the rest of the movie. Yeah, the movie was about this. Yeah, again, pharma bro, like you said, who's you know, trying to manipulate people. It, it was just, it was weird. It was very weird. And, that and was the one also, moment. also the key takeaway I had from the end of the movie is, did they just like drive by the police boats and the police boats just let them go? What happened at the end of the movie? There's like three police boats coming towards them. And then the final shot is them like open water sailing. I'm just like, what on earth is happening? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really have no idea. It was like, they ran out of their budget or something there <laughs> yeah. um, or they, they, they went as far as they could physically go right within like COVID protocols. And, you know, <laughs> it was yeah. like, it, it was like a star Wars battlefront or something. When you start leaving the battlefield. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're yeah, leaving just, the battlefield. Yeah, the, very confused by the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to add here, Scott? Uh, I, I don't know. I just, again, it's a, it's a forgettable movie. It's in one ear. It's out the other. I feel like we've kind of covered the the talking points from it. Again, I think the performances, there's a lot to like in the performances. They, they did the best they could. Um, but in other areas, it's just very unexceptional. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple there's a couple of well-built moments. And the why I think that Kaczynski's not completely at fault here is that there's a couple of well-built tension, you know, sort of set pieces around, you know, when Jeff is going through the desk drawer after sort of the first dark and like the dark and blocks thing sort of goes wrong and i forget that it has it heather i can't remember that heather yeah ends up killing herself um i thought that scene was really tense which is why i feel like kaczynski isn't really at fault here because i think it's his craft his ability to craft that scene you know not not dissimilar to the tension that he can, is able to build in top gun maverick with his craft um i thought it was still there in some in some noticeable moments so you know i don't really have too much more to add than that but i i just feel like this is a perfectly mid movie on Netflix. Like if you're looking for like a, a mid movie to watch on a, on a Sunday night, which is exactly how I watched it. Um, I mean, I wasn't looking for a perfectly mid movie, but I watched it on a Sunday night, kicked back on the couch. 
you know, after after a day outside. I got exactly what I was expecting, probably. Yeah, I've uh, I guess it was it was a nice for me in terms of the viewing experience, because I've like watched a lot of really good movies in the last week. Um, like I've been working my way through the Batman movies, for example, and I watched, um, you know, The Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises um, over the past week. I watched two first time watches that I gave five stars to like Carrie and The Killing and just a few other really solid movies. And so it was nice to have this like a, as a sandwich in the middle, I guess, to bring me back down to earth and to remind me sometimes movies are just okay, right? Sometimes movies are not like amazing, like a lot of the movies I've been watching. So in that regard, good job, Joseph Kaczynski. Uh, yeah, but... I mean, you gotta, you, you won't appreciate the best movies out there if you yeah. don't have movies that are a little disappointing. And between this and people's four star reviews of the Northmen, I think you're perfectly uh, feeder on the feeder on the ground. Yeah, it certainly wasn't Nolan or um, Kubrick or De Palma. That's for sure. Uh, if if any of them ever make a movie for Netflix, uh, that would be well. Kubrick's not going to be making anything. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, that would be something. Uh, all right, Scott, let's wrap up our discussion. What's your favorite scene or moment uh, from Spiderhead? I mean, yeah, for the choice that the film chose to go in terms of it trying to be this sort of tense thriller, um, ultimately, I, I think I, that scene that I was just talking about sort of right after the darkened flocks blow up um, in, in the in the test chamber and allowing Miles Teller this this, you know, few minutes of time to go through the drawers and sort of investigate, learn the you know, some element of the truth that's going on at the facility, the tension that was able to be mustered in that moment, I think really was the standout for me in the film. So this is something also that um, we didn't bring up, but which I will say kind of was my favorite moment because I liked the idea of it. I didn't really like the execution of it because it was just weird to do it in this movie. Sure. But there's a sound, the soundtrack is like yacht rock songs. Yeah. Um, like we hear like some <laughs> hollow notes and yeah. like some other Stuff I, I can't even remember what, but it's there's it's failing me at the moment. But like, you know, the movie has been like pretty tense. There's like a long stretch in the middle where the movie's just like pretty tense and everything. And then like with the final sort of like showdown, the escape from you know when when uh, Miles Teller and Journey Smollett are trying to escape from the prison, they just like all of a sudden out of nowhere um, kick in. I'm trying to remember what song it is. I'm looking at the. Uh, the soundtrack right now. Okay. Oh, right. The logical song is like at the start of the movie. This that super tramp song. Um, and then yeah, Hall of Notes is is what we get at the end. That's that's what it was. It just felt like it came out of nowhere. And I love anachronistic music choices. Um, so like again, I loved the idea of it. It was just like super weird in this movie because they weren't <laughs> consistent with it. Like it was just like in a couple random places they did it. Yeah. It did feel like a, a shoot the thrill vibe or something like that, all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah, weird, weird tonal shift, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But um, just went back to dudes rock, you know, on boats, just vibing. Yeah. At the end. Top gun on a boat. And then uh, a voiceover right. about how everyone's haunted by their by their past misdeeds. <laughs> all right, Scott, let's put a score on it. What do you give Spiderhead out of 10? 5.5. Yeah, again, this is like right down the middle. I can't say that it was like anything was better or that anything was really, I'm just going to say five. Like it's, sure. it's a lazy out, but like, again, it's just thoroughly there. Honestly, Hey, if the movie can phone it in Scott, we can't do on our scores. That's true. 
That's true. I don't feel so bad anymore. All right, we are going to take a short break now, Scott. But when we come back, we have a couple of news items for you, including a uh, new film from a big international filmmaker and a limited series uh, that is a literary adaptation that I'm very excited about. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Scott, a couple of news items here to hit before we wrap up for the episode. You wanted to talk about uh, a new project that Pedro Almodovar is going to be working on coming off of his Oscar-nominated film, Parallel Mothers. Uh, Tell us more about it. Yeah. So, I mean, Almodovar sort of like famous for his refusal to do anything sort of like mainstream Hollywood. You you called him like one of a big international filmmaker before the break. And, you know, he definitely is one of those people. He's not the only one, of course, but he really has sort of over his like a lush, like pretty illustrious career, like exclusively worked outside of the influence of Hollywood. Um, and he's continuing that trend um, that hasn't really restricted him in terms of the quality of actors that he's gotten over the years. I mean, granted, a lot of them come from Spain, where, of course, is where he hails from. Think, you know, people like Penelope Cruz and um, Antonio Banderas, who are all obviously really important um, actors and actresses in many of his movies. But this one he's able to in this upcoming project, which is a bit non-traditional, not just because it's you know, not English language, uh, at least for American viewers, um, but non-traditional in the sense that it's also a short film and um, it's a 30-minute long Western-ish, 30-minute-ish long Western film, and it's going to have Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal. Uh, I'm not sure if he's worked with either of those actors before, but neither of them are Spanish actors, and um, they're doing a little bit of a different project. So very interesting stuff to do. It seems like a bit of an homage to Spaghetti Westerns, which, you know, maybe... Isn't that surprising in terms of if if a director like Almodovar is going to do a Western, it kind of makes sense for it to be an homage to that just because of the sort of Eurocentric nature of spaghetti Westerns and, you know, him being an almost exclusively European filmmaker. So very exciting for me. I, you know, you mentioned his most recent movie, Parallel Mothers, which I was a huge fan of. It was in my top 10 of last year and is sort of consistently one of those movies that I just keep thinking about and just am really enamored by, um, although there were a lot of movies that that is true of last year as well, to be fair. But yeah, really enjoyed it. Excited for what he comes next. You know, if it's a short film and I mean, I don't know how international features work. I guess it's not feature length, so it wouldn't be in the international feature category in award season. But I mean, I assume it could be nominated for best, um, you know, narrative short film. So that would be pretty interesting to see someone like Pedro Almodovar in that category, maybe a little bit unfair to other filmmakers um, if the quality is, you know, commensurate with what he's typically um, producing, but it's exciting to have people like Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal working on just like this sort of random short film project with, you know, a really, you know, prominent, you know, foreign filmmaker, you know, foreign in the in the Hollywood sense. Um, and I just think it's really cool. Yeah. And Scott, I don't know if you saw this, but he made a comment that this is going to be his response to Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> I did um, see that. I didn't know how seriously was, yeah. to take that. But yeah. Yeah, well, I, actually, I you know, I was thinking about it. I, I do think I would take it somewhat seriously. I mean, he is uh, a gay man, uh, Pedro Almodovar is, and he explores he it. He is often, a gay man. Know. Sorry, that was just a really funny way to phrase that. 
He is a gay man. I mean, yeah. he is. It is and, true. Yeah, uh, he, it is true. He explores, you know, he explores homosexual relationships in a lot of his films. Um, and At notably, Ang parallel mothers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ang Lee, who, uh, you know, directed Broke by Mountain, is not um, a gay man. So I wonder if he has some thoughts on how the relationship was portrayed in that movie. I mean, Brokeback Mountain, very acclaimed movie. A lot of people thought it should have won Best Picture that year. But I just wonder if that's playing into any of his comments, again, on saying, I want to make my own Brokeback Mountain, if he feels like, um, you know, that there was something there that Ang Lee didn't do right um, in adapting, of course, adapting the Larry McMurtry novel. Um, yeah, I mean, my, so, my only response to that is that he maybe should have found some gay actors because the best of my knowledge, I don't think Ethan Hawke or Pedro Pascal yeah, are no, they're um, not identify as gay. Uh, so they're not, yeah, which is an interesting choice. But I mean, again, you know, neither did uh, neither does Penelope Cruz, to my knowledge, Antonio Banderas, who was in Painting Painting Glory, which I believe had um, some homosexual relationships as well. So uh, you know, we'll we'll see. But you know, that's I just, just feel like one of the major made, critiques of Brokeback Mountain is that none of the actors are. I mean, like like you said, the filmmaker Angley's not yeah. doesn't identify as, as homosexual. I don't believe any of the actors identified as gay. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know about Heath Ledger actually. Maybe I'm not sure. No, I don't think so. Yeah. So but, it just yeah. 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 I mean, maybe that's just not a motivars problem with it. I, I don't know. He it's an interesting comment yeah. that he made. I guess we'll see. Um, I'm yeah. looking forward to seeing it, no matter what. I mean, I you know I look forward to everything Ethan Hawke does again. I um I just saw the black phone this past weekend primarily because it had Ethan Hawke in it. But um, Scott, the uh, project which I wanted to talk about is uh, a new limited series that is being developed by uh, the actress Zoe Kazan, um, and this is East of Eden, based yeah. on the John Steinbeck novel. Um, of course, this was previously adapted into a film in the '50s by Zoe. Uh, Kazan's a grandfather, Elia Kazan. Um, and so there's a little bit of a familiar, familial connection there, which, um, you know, is, is uh, probably driving her to make this. Um, you know, she says that she's a huge fan of the novel. Um, but also there, we have a bit of casting news as well, which is that Florence Pugh is going to be playing one of the main roles. There's a family uh, that is basically the whole story is about this one family from what I understand. I haven't read the book or seen oh, yeah, read the um, book. yeah, I've read the book actually. Yeah. Uh, this is being developed for Netflix, by the way, I should say. But um but Florence Pugh is going to be playing Kathy, who is one of the female roles. Now I was talking about this with a friend and he was familiar with the book and he said that actually it was one of his favorite books and he said um, that Kathy, this role is like arguably the third or fourth most important role. So if they're getting a, well, a person two men of, leads, yeah, there's two yeah. male leads in the mm -hmm. movie. Yeah. And of course, Raymond Massey and James Dean played the, the male leads in, um, the original film. But, uh, if they're getting Florence Pugh, right, you know, Oscar nominated MCU actress to play, <laughs> Um, I love how you credit MCU actress. Sorry. That's well, I'm just funny. saying she's a big deal. Yeah. You know? If I they're know. getting her to play the yeah. third or fourth biggest role in this TV series um, yeah. based on John Steinbeck book, then, um, you know, it, it would be interesting to see who they get to play. Maybe know, they're gender the swapping the roles, Scott. Lead male roles. Yeah. I don't know. That would be interesting. But no, they said she's playing Kathy, which to my yeah. understanding is would be the female, one of the female roles. But um, Great yeah, book. no, I mean, I, yeah. I'm very excited for this. Yeah, I, I although I've never read the book or seen the movie, it seems like something I would really like. 
Um, I like period pieces from around this time period. You know, I have read uh, The Grapes of Wrath, and The Grapes of Wrath movie is one of my favorite movies. Um, it's in my top 100 uh, favorite movies that obviously is based on a John Steinbeck novel as well. So I think uh, it's going to be something that I'm really going to enjoy. And obviously with um, with Florence Pugh involved, um, you know, that's obviously going to get me more excited. Zoe Kazan, you know, she's never directed anything before. And I don't know if she's going to be directing this or not. But I, at the very least, she's going to be writing it, I would say, um, doing working on the adaptation. Um, and she did. Um, she obviously worked on the adaptation for um, her husband, Paul Dano's um, directorial debut wildlife which is a movie that i really loved um and so i i think um you know she has shown some skill there in terms of what she can do behind the camera um which it seems like is where her role is going to be in relation to this series and again she has something she has a personal connection to it with her grandfather having directed the original film so um, i think this could be something really special you know florence Pugh doing a period piece created one of my favorite films of all time so um i think you know it can only go up from here and i'm gonna be really interested to see who they can get uh what kind of talent they're gonna attract to play these other roles scott any thoughts on uh who could you know who's the modern day james dean who could step in for uh james dean in uh a 2022 uh miniseries i, I don't know of course Tom Cruise? obvious i'm kidding <laughs> the obvious uh the obvious choice i think is timothy chalamet but um, oh god that's you know, such a lazy choice though i'd say that's right? that's the thing like it's just he, he of course it's him at this point i feel like there's probably somebody else you can find you know spread the wealth a little bit um yeah i could probably get ansel elgort in there right somebody <laughs> oh, else <God. laughs> um yeah i don't know i mean timothy chalamet is a great actor don't get me wrong uh, i mean i mean i do think miles I've teller to be, th to be thematic could be i think know, he's probably uh, a little too old for it at this point but uh, is he that much older than timothy chalamet Miles Teller, yeah, he's like in his late thirties, I think. If not, his late thirties. Oh my lord! I'm fairly hey, certain he is thirty-five. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and Timothy Chalamet, you know, is still in his twenties. So, and I mean, James Dean was obviously very young too when he played the role in the original movie. So, I right. think Miles Teller would probably be too old. He has a youthful appearance, but I mean, is Harry um, Styles? Are they just going to ride it on from "Don't Worry, Darling"? Just have Harry sure. Styles do it? It's a possibility. Yeah, I I don't know, but um. Anyway, I would expect it to be heavy hitters. Again, I think now that Florence Pugh's attached, I think people are going to get, you know, very interested probably in being in this, saying, you know, yeah. seeing that such a high caliber actress is already attached. So, yeah, I mean, they could probably get very Ezra excited. Miller. I think he'll be available. On uh, that note, I think that'll I mean, do okay. It jokes aside, though, I do think some. I mean, someone like Finn Wolfhard, maybe if we want to go a little bit, in, a little bit deeper down outside of like. I your, don't think he has. I don't think he has the swag of James Dean. I really don't. Uh, I mean, I think that's true. I'm just trying to think. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of who else is in that category. Everyone else. Just that feels... same generation of actors. Yeah. 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 Like, gosh, I don't even. Well, like you said, it's freaking Ansel Elgort and Ezra Miller and these people who are just like. Like that. Toxic. that's it, though. Like that is the. I that's know. The, yeah. That is the. That is that is because Logan Lerman's too old too, right? Like he couldn't really do it, I don't think. Logan Lerman also definitely does not have James Dean energy about him. Well, no one has like, James I, Dean energy except for Timothy Chalamet, probably. Except like, for Timothy like, Chalamet, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. He would be the right person for the role. It's just like really him again. But I, I mean, mean, Scott, the truth is know, they're probably just gonna they're probably just gonna discover someone for this. I'm not saying that with Margot Robbie being cast and everything. So like, I don't know. I guess I'm being sexist or something by 
pointing that out. I, I don't know, but sure. Timothy Chalamet, he probably is the best choice. Um, I mean, will can he Cody be the choice? McPhee do it? I don't know. Mm, I don't right know. I haven't, seen enough, haven't seen enough from him, from him to say, though, whether he has that sort of energy. But yeah, I was going to say, he'd have um, to bring a very different energy. I think the problem is every, every other young actor in that generation is black, and I don't think that they're going to cast a black person. Probably not. Role. Um, just Probably going not. out on a limb. Noah Centineo, Netflix stand-in. Could he do it? You know, actually, it's funny. I asked that in my one of my other group chats, and the first name that came up was Noah Centineo. It was said as a joke, I want to point out, but, sure, uh, sure. but it was mentioned. Um, I mean, it is Netflix, sure, I guess. Well, I'm trying uh, to think of people who have been in Netflix stuff. Like, I mean, Nick Robinson, he was he was in a, he was in Made last year, uh, that limited series with, uh, yeah, with Margaret, Margaret Qualley. Um, um, sure. I, I, I don't know if I see it, but what's Ty Sheridan up to these days? Is he too old? Ty Sheridan's not a bad option. I mean, you know, he showed some promise back in the day with like mud and stuff like that, but sure. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, he's probably not too old at this point. No, I just looked 25. I thought he was older than that. That's terrifying. That's a possibility. I, I wouldn't hate that. Uh, you know, again, I still think Chalamet is probably the best choice, but like, I think he could be he could be solid because I have liked him in things in the past. You know, Mud's kind of like a very sort of American Americana type story that I think yeah. he was very convincing in that movie. So that's what you would you know kind of be looking for with this uh, this series, I imagine. So sure. yeah, well, it will be interesting to see. All right, yeah, I'm, Scott, I'm very excited about the series. I mean, uh, all yeah. aside, like I don't actually really care who they cast in it. I'm very intrigued. It's a great novel. They've, um, very they've got stuff. Florence Pugh. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm in. All right, Scott, that should do it for this episode of Some Like It, Scott. Before we go, any thoughts on the Barbie set photos? <laughs> there was one going around on Twitter today of of Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling roller. Was it yeah, roller skating? Rollerblading, yeah, yeah, rollerblading. And there's a woman in the background taking a photo who looks naked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> she has a very like pale brown bikini on. Yeah, but, yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, which it was commented just, on by many people. It's it was hard not to see that basically uh, when I was looking at that picture. But yeah, it looks like a Barbie movie, man. I don't know. <laughs> it looks cool. Yeah, I have to say I retweeted it today, but I definitely agree with Fran Hoffner's article that she wrote that we, they need to just stop showing us the photos, right? Because oh, hundred percent. This movie agree. is a yeah. year away. We are literally it's a so year long. away from seeing this movie. I don't want to like have the whole movie and already discourse is starting and people are like from a five second clip of Margot Robbie's voice. People have already decided that the movie's going to be bad. Like I can't do this. Like this is going to be one of my most anticipated movies of all time. Log I am off, not Scott. getting put Log in off. the discourse cycle a year in advance of this thing to where I'm just like over it before I've even seen the movie. So my brother in Christ, you are in the discourse cycle. It has begun. You are there. Yeah, I, I know, but I just want to ignore it as much as possible. Stop showing us the photos, please. Like, just let let me be surprised. Unless it's photos of Greta, because I've seen a few photos of Greta and yeah. like her drip on uh behind the camera is on point. She's got these pink headphones, I guess, just for the vibes that she just has had around her neck, basically, in all of the photos. Yeah, hundred percent. Because everything's like pink. So, so yes, you can show me Greta photos, but nothing of the actual movie. Show me photos um, of people taking photos of the movie, but not the movie itself. Yeah, that too. Show, show us more of like the bikini girl or whatever. Yeah, uh, that I guess that was the the draw of that photo. But anyway, Scott, that'll do it for this episode of Some Like It, Scott. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have and you'd like to support us, don't forget about our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. Got various tiers over there. Uh, even if you can't support us over there, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, like, do all of the things that you do on your preferred podcast app. And, of course, we hope that you'll be back for our next episode on which we will be reviewing Thor, Love and Thunder, the latest MCU entry. But until then, for Scott Shelton, I'm Scott Harvey. We'll see you next time. In a couple weeks.